0: Hello, my name is Alan Swan and welcome to The Outer View, a show all about the art of media interviewing on RTE Radio 1 Extra. David Lloyd has spent a lifetime in radio and he's worked with some of the UK's biggest names. He was with the Radio Authority when they were overseeing compliance for the radio industry back in the 80s. He looked after the framework for DAB Digital Radio. He uh, is a fellow of the Radio Academy. He's been the MD, Programme Director of of LBC, which is a huge talk radio station in London, one of the best in the world when it comes to talk. He worked at Virgin Radio, BBC, and now he's the Group Editorial Director at Orion Media. He's written this book called How to Make Great Radio, if you're starting off from radio, I highly recommend... Even if you're not... Look, if you've been doing radio for 10, 15 years... This book still has got brilliant things, and uh, that will jump out at you where you can relate it. But at the same time, go God, I never knew that. It's a it's a brilliant book, and I highly recommend it. So, in this episode of the podcast, uh, David talks about how preparing too hard can sometimes mean you forget to engage in natural conversation. That happens quite a lot sometimes. Uh, how listening back to your interviews is really important in improving your craft. And David gives us a tip of a of an interviewer to watch out for the future. Uh, he will say that if you listen back to this podcast. And 10 years' time, that this guy is going to be a household name. So, listen out for that name. That'll come in this episode of The Outer View. Episode 4 My Conversation with David Lloyd. Firstly, David, congratulations on the book, um, How to Make Great Radio. It's a fantastic read and it it really, it surprises me that nobody has written a book like that yet. A a book like that has never been released.
1: I think you're right because before writing it, obviously, I I checked out a number of publications and I'd read a lot in my career anyway and I thought there wasn't anything quite like it. It's sort of a lot of technique in there but also a few stories as well because I don't think uh, reading a book of techniques is particularly interesting so I thought I'd throw in a few stories there just to bring it alive and it really was borne out from the fact that quite a few people I'd spoken to who'd been in radio a few years sometimes it was apparent they they no one had ever taken the trouble to explain some of the basics to them so that's where it started from but I think it got a bit more interesting than that because I was discovering stuff for myself as I wrote it as I just questioned why I I thought what I thought. It's all very well to have these radio givens, isn't it? These rules about radio. But why do we think that way? So I was actually interrogating my own thinking as, as I wrote it.
0: And, and really for, for this uh, show, The Outer View, it, it, it had some great, great segments in the book that are really helpful for people who do interviews um, for, for a living. And I suppose if I can start off our chat today regarding, do you think the art of interviewing is dying?
1: Wow, what a great question. Uh, judging by that one, it's not dying because that was a great question. Uh, and I think in my book I talk about surprising the interviewee a bit because particularly you may be interviewing somebody who's uh, been interviewed many, many, many times before and you ask them the question and they trot out the answer without any thinking, without any emotion, without any meaning and the listener will detect that. Listeners are very clever. Uh, whereas if you ask a question that hasn't been asked, listen to the interviewee coming alive as just I have when I thought, oh, goodness, I've actually I've spoken many times about this book, but suddenly I've got to think of an answer to your question, and that's a great place to start. So your question was good. The question was, and I do remember it, your question was, is the art of interviewing dying? I, no, I don't think it is. Uh, and what is interviewing? Interviewing is lively conversation at best, isn't it? And, um, you know, on TV chat shows, some of the greats like Michael Parkinson, you watch those now and you think, is, is, is Michael Parkinson a, a, a grinty? a great interview or or not and sometimes it's actually difficult to work out whether relaxing the interviewee to such an extent that you say very little that probably is an art isn't it i think the art is alive and well
0: because I, I, you speak about it in your book, you speak, you know, at great uh, length about setting the mood, setting the mood for an interview and, and getting your interviewee comfortable and making sure everything from the environment to, because a lot of people will say, look, you have to do your homework and you have to have your questions right. But sometimes people forget about maybe the, the, the kind of the, the aesthetics of it as well, that the uh, mood is an important
1: thing. Absolutely. Uh, when you greet someone, you should be sufficiently astute to work out what sort of frame of mind they're in. Are they bored of Doing interviews, are they nervous? Are they overprepared? So just try to really establish that, and then you can start to counteract them. If they're nervous, you can put them at ease, and you know just downplay. Oh, we'll just talk for a couple of minutes. They're very, you know, you can downplay what you're about to do, as 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 you know as well. Sometimes you can give away too much to the interviewee in advance, so that the nervous interviewee will start rehearsing answers in their head, and then try and remember what those answers were. When you ask the questions and then forget and then panic, and then there's a gap. So, you know, giving them enough confidence that you're not going to ask anything to OTT, therefore they can relax and you give them a general idea of the scope of the interview, whereas you won't tell them the exact questions. You know, I knew you were interviewing me about my book and I knew your focus was interviewing. I didn't know much more than that, and that's fine. But you're right, you know, creating the right environment for the interviewee is. Absolutely crucial. And for some people, um, getting them, uh, you know, if you're doing a a set of really uh, uh, perhaps you're doing a piece on something quite personal it may be I don't know fostering or adoption and you want someone to talk very honestly about something that's very personal uh, you want them to t- open up talk about their life and you know are you better poised to do that in a studio with whizzes and bangs and flashing lights in an unfamiliar surrounding or are you better going around to their house for a cup of tea I'd probably suggest the latter so picking the surroundings is I think uh, really really important
0: Do you remember your first interview, David?
1: Uh, I don't remember my first interviews. I remember some of the early ones, and I quote in the book the the time I was sent by our frightening head of news to uh, interview Noel Gordon, who was of course Meg in Crossroads, and she was you know hugely famous. She was the soap star of the time. Everybody knew who she was, and she was appearing at the local theatre. And I was told to take a huge tape machine and go and interview her. And I and I got there and I couldn't find her. So I literally went back to the newsroom and said, I can't find her. To be told by the news editor, that's not a good excuse, go back and don't stop until yeah. you find her. So I was sent back to uh, to get her again and uh, we recorded the interview and she had clearly read a book just like mine because when we'd finished she said, play it back and make sure you've got it on there, which is a great bit of advice just making sure that what you think's recording is recording. It was, you know, difficult there with the old reel-to-reel technology but now, you know, clearly you can use your, your phone or 101 things to record but sometimes, it, because it's not as physical, it's actually more difficult to work out whether it's actually working or not. So to Test um, your your recording uh, equipment is absolutely essential, and particularly with a phone. You know, are you talking into the right end? I know it sounds ridiculous, but I have heard people on British radio, you know, in the last few months, are thinking you're talking into the wrong end of the phone. You know, for goodness' sake, work out where the mic is.
0: There's a great story that you tell in the book regarding, um, I think it was LBC, and that Margaret Thatcher's daughter. Um, this goes to, this goes back to preparation. Um, she turned up at the studio yes. well in advance yes. of, of doing one of her That's shows. That's right. Yes, she
1: was filling in for Nick Ferrari on The Breakfast Show on LBC, the uh, the news and talk station in London. And uh, she was booked for the following week. So I arrived in as broken controller, crack of dawn, as I usually do. And there she was sat there. And I thought, has she turned up for the wrong week? What, what was she doing? Is she not booked till next week? And I said, you're, you're, you're here a little early. And she said, uh, mother always said, an hour spent in preparation is rarely wasted. Uh, and of course, her mother was preparing for... For, uh, for possibly rather even more important things than the LBC Breakfast Show.
0: It's funny you bring up Nick Ferrari because I, I, when was this now? It would have been, oh God, it would have been 2008, 2009. I remember I was in London. I was considering quitting radio and quitting media in general because I kind of had my kind of fill of it at the time. And I remember coming back. Um, in the taxi heading towards London City Airport, and Nick Ferrari was on the radio, and he was doing this amazing interview with a guy. It started off as kind of a very banal, kind of ordinary interview with a guy from a county council, and he was talking about some sort of a some sort of a roundabout that was been built. And I always remember the line that he used was: he was talking about this roundabout, and the 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 council guy was given the usual kind of you know line: "Oh, we're doing this, we're doing that, we've invested this much money," and he just came up with this question where he went, "Excuse me, say." Tom, um, how long do you think it took to build the Golden Gate Bridge? And he goes, the Golden Gate Bridge, I I have no idea. He goes, "Um, it only took about about seven months uh, the, the, these big huge uh, Los Angeles um, motorways that were broken down <laughs> during the earthquakes how long do you think it took to, to repair them seven weeks and he says you're telling me it's taking four years to build a roundabout in Rotherham or whatever and I just thought wow what a brilliant you know, way to interview somebody what a brilliant way to get things across and he actually made me want to work back in radio again it, it is kind of the preparation that he would have put into that just that small interview really kind of struck me about the, the power of when you're doing an interview really saying, okay, where can I bring this interview?
1: Nick is a consummate professional. I watched him, uh, watched him indeed, uh, interview Alistair Campbell uh, fairly recently and he'd got Alistair's book in his hand and uh, a load of pieces of paper sort of put in the book at various points. So he clearly read the book which is important and he'd actually noted uh, you know each of the pages so he could easily access them. But then, comforted by the fact that he knew that he could pick up that book and refer to it and quote from it and know exactly where it was going, comforted by that, he put it to one side and he engaged in a conversation. That's so important, isn't it? Because sometimes you prepare so hard that you forget to engage in natural conversation and you miss goals. You miss the supplementary questions. You miss the gold. Sometimes you miss the humour. You miss so much because you're over-concentrating on your pre-approved structure. But Nick had prepared really, really well and put it to one side and grabbed the book when he needed just to quote from, from a particular page or a particular section. And what Nick does so well as well, And Eddie Mayer's pretty good uh, at that. Eddie Mayer hosts the uh, evening news magazine programme on on Radio 4. Uh, Eddie uh, and Nick very good at the short question, because a really common issue is overlong questions. They're very good at the the short question. It can be sort of, uh, you know, a a sentence of build-up, and um, uh, just something, this is not good enough, isn't it? You know, just a very short statement at the end. Sometimes, very simple words can be the worst possible questions. In other words, the best possible questions uh, for the interviewee. So, yeah, you know, those short questions are great. Complicated questions really, really, really aren't good because, first of all, the clever interviewee can choose which bit of the question that they answer. You know, uh, if you give a question with three bits in, tell me why so and so that happened, and then why that happened, and then and then why did you go on to do so and so. They can pick any bit of that question to answer. Make the answer long enough; they've got away with the other two. So simple questions.
0: It's it's um, absolutely kind of you're bringing me on to my next question. We were talking about Nick Ferrari. That I, I have obviously a couple of questions written down in advance of this interview, and, I, and there is a certain structure. But it as doesn't you show. say that no, sometimes no, if you're only not, joking. It, it, but but it, but it's it, it's kind of it shows that you know if if I was to keep going through the structure and I wasn't listening, that I might miss out on something during the interview. Listening is really important, isn't
1: it? Absolutely, it is the first thing that anyone teaches you about an interview, and it is so so important. And that's why, as I say, preparation is important, but make sure that you can use the preparation without diverting your attention too much. I used to have a list of bullet points. It might be just 10 words on a sheet of paper, and each word, to me, would mean a sentence, a question. The word was enough for me to comfort myself that I wouldn't ever worry where I was going. I could glance down and and, and, and grab an area from that list. If you write out full questions, you can't just read them, or, or you have to concentrate while you're reading them, and that concentration takes you away from the, the dialogue with the interviewee. So yes, listening is just so important. And it's active listening as well. And it's listening for the angles you've missed. It's listening for a phrase that doesn't mean anything to a listener that you want someone to clarify. It's, it's, the, it's often the supplementary question that, that generates the subsidiary stories of real depth and real interest.
0: And David, with your experience, you've worked with a lot of broadcasters and and presenters and journalists over the years. Do you think that listening back to what you've done is very, very important? I think that there's a fear sometimes from broadcasters and journalists that they're afraid to almost self-critique and maybe listen back to what they've done in case they don't like what
1: they hear. I may be generalising wildly here, but I feel that presenters, music radio presenters tend to listen back to themselves. Maybe we're all just egomaniacs and we love hearing the sounds of our own voice, (laughs) but we're almost brought up you know, do a programme, listen back, how could it have been better, play it back, play it back and coaching for, you know, most presenters in music radio is now every day you'll sit down probably once a week, once a day, however often, with your programme director playing stuff back, listening, listening to the competition, listening actively, where how could that have been better, how could we have made that link better, with a lot of journalists, the job is so different. And you get journalists who, you know, their, their obsession, quite rightly, is going out getting those great stories. And uh, the, the radio bit tends to be almost a necessary evil at the end of the journey. And what we say, of course, is, you know, at the end of the journey really is, the real end of the journey is the listener taking in what you have done. And therefore, if the fruits of your labours Don't come out the loudspeaker in the best possible way. You've wasted all the effort. If they're not listening, if they're not taking into account what you've said. So the bit of radio at the end is the the finished product. And I think listening back to that more is important. And the point I was making earlier is I suspect, maybe wrong in this, that journalists do it less frequently than music radio presenters. And listening back, I think, to interviews and bits you've done, really, really important
0: really is uh, do, and you know doing the coaching doing your homework is vital. you mentioned one of the, the, the heavyweights earlier on at the start of our conversation which would and everyone would refer to him as possibly one of the world's best interviewers as in michael parkinson is is there anyone else and and this could be you know even that you just heard recently or or maybe even starting off that 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 have struck you as somebody who's really good at at, at, at doing interviews really good at at holding that conversation.
1: I think that uh, Jeremy Vine is pretty good on radio too. I mean, there he is doing a daytime magazine program on a huge, you know, music and talk uh, network across the country. It's a very relaxed, intelligent conversation with clear journalistic nous, but also genuine entertaining a listen you know he's pretty good i think uh, going back to LBC i'm using lots of examples from there i used to work there of course but uh, you know many many years ago but it's it's a talk station lots of interviews on there tom swarbrick i think who's uh, won quite a few awards of late uh, deservedly he uh, is a journalist but hosting shows now fairly recently and i think you know from the word go he's a natural and if we play back this recording in 10 years time he will be a name to be conjured with i'll uh, wager my house on that
0: And talking about, you know, fast forwarding to the future, you know, where do you think it's going to go, David, regarding, you know, is it a case that it's going to be the presenters, journalists, personalities, more so as brands, uh, as opposed to, you know, big radio stations um, that, you know, say, for instance, if you look at podcasting now or or audios or Spotify are getting into that market and so on. Do you think that it's a case that people are going to be going to their dashboard and selecting their favourite personality as opposed to their
1: favourite brand? I suspect that's right and before I forget I must mention James O'Brien in response to the last question as well I think he's incredible he does uh, LBC's mid-morning show also hosting Newsnight now on TV he should be hosting that Newsnight programme on the uh, uh, you know on, on TV full time he is just impeccable and talk about research and and a clever angles his questions come from way of a left field and are incredibly powerful anyway coming back to your earlier question uh, he's, he' actually just to go back to James he, he is he's very curious I think that's a very important
0: uh, uh, for for interviewers the, the word curious is comes up an awful lot and I think he he's a very curious broadcaster he likes he seems always very engrossed and very interested no matter whether he's talking to a bus driver or whether he's talking to the Prime Minister it's
1: a lovely word curious and James is that he is I, I can't think of many other people like James because he will go off on a Five-minute flight of fancy, almost uh, about a particular thing, and then end up in a very interesting area of questioning. And what James, what you hear on James's show quite often is, "I changed my mind." You get callers saying, "I thought this, but I don't now because of your program." He's taken them on on a on a journey. Incredible talent. Uh, So glad we've mentioned James. That was good. Your other question was about the um the, the the role, I guess, of the presenter, and you know, are they going to be almost bigger than radio brands in a sense uh, looking forward what's going to happen to radio i guess the bits that are unsubstitutable will continue to be very much an important part of what we do the bits that can be substituted i.e streams of music of a particular sort which can be replicated by the likes of spotify or whoever um you know, is that something other than radio who knows but i suspect that the future of radio will come down to unsubstitutable content content you can only get from your radio station Uh, maybe live may not be live and i think a lot of that yes is down to personalities and i think whether that's talk personalities or music personalities the skills are so rare and frankly radio stations pay so much for them that i can imagine those skills being shared across more than one station even though the music may be different frequency by frequency
0: because there is a fear regarding kind of the, the art of interviewing that you're going to go down the road of having these sanitised junket style interviews where you're put in a room you're told by a PR company basically look here are the questions that are approved and not approved um, and that you don't get an opportunity of say for instance say the writer Gay Talese from New York who would have l- liked to spend months with a subject living with them breathing with them finding out more about them so questions lead to more questions that lead to more questions it you know You know, the fear is that that's where we're headed.
1: I think you're right in that some people uh, think about this interviewing Lark too much and, you know, PR people spend their life uh, cajoling their clients and helping them interview in such a way that they don't come out with anything interesting ever. So I think there's a number of, there are a number of risks because people think about interviewing too much rather than just enjoy the conversation. But, you know, are they just afraid of headlines? Are they just afraid of what the tabloid press do? It would be sad if that were the case, but it probably is the case.
0: Uh, do you have any um tips or advice for any journalists listening to this show now regarding cul-de-sacs? If you ever get into a cul-de-sac in an interview, or you're, you're faced with a very difficult interview, do you kind of have to cut cut your losses sometimes and go, look, this is just not working out? Um, Or if the interviewee is giving you a very much yes, no answers, is there any kind of advice that you could give them?
1: I think the first thing is not to ask questions or try to avoid questions where yes or no can possibly be an Answer and in you know, the words of Rudyard Kipling and uh, you know who, what, when, where, why, etc., and how uh, those words are beautiful in getting a longer answer, and people can't say yes or no to that. So that's the first thing. Secondly is, you know, if you're down a cul-de-sac, change the subject and walk down a different road. As I say, if you've got a list of bullet point topics uh, to your right, then, you know, you can move on to the next one. And that's no problem. I think if a a listener hears that, you know, you're not getting anywhere, they don't want to carry on going down there either, probably. So, you know, move off into another area. That's very different, of course, from the news interview when you are trying to get an answer and you want to keep on going at that answer and there are famous examples of course and i'm sure you talked about them before famous examples of interviews where a question has been posed in a number of different ways and yeah that's that's quite good sport um but let's make sure it has a purpose and it's not just self-aggrandizement for the presenter and just a bit of an of ego trip you know if there's an answer that's needed yes be persistent
0: yeah, absolutely. Uh, before I let you go, David, just one or two last questions. And thank you so much for your Lovely. time. Um, have you, uh, did you, ha- I think mentorship is, is, is a word that's used quite a lot now in the media industry where you're, you're told by all these kind of um, career books, you know, try and get a mentor or try and get somebody to give you advice. Um, did you have a mentor when you were starting off in, in this broadcasting game? And um, what do they help you
1: achieve? I think we all grew up, didn't we, listening to broadcasters and unwittingly, you, you adopt part of their act in your act when you start. and You listen back to your early recordings and you can hear sometimes words, phrases, pacing, delivery, intonation that you have, as I say, subconsciously drawn from other people. And that's how we all start out, I think, a bit of a mongrel of a number of other people. Uh, and then we start to find ourselves... And when we find ourselves, that's where the real gold happens. That's when you really start to you know carve out your own identity. So I would say you know there are a list of people that I've drawn from some 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 people in popular music radio, uh, some people in in talk radio. And the important thing, I think, as we get into the business is to make sure we are exposed to as many different positive influences as possible. One of the first questions I ask usually in interviews is, tell me about your radio listening. And if someone sort of looks at me and and says, well, don't listen much, that's not a good start. If they say, well, I always listen to your radio station 24 hours a day, I don't think that's a very good start either. I like someone to say, I listen to a bit of this, a bit of that, and I like this station because of this, and I hate this radio station, but there's a brilliant presenter on it, and I've learned this from them. You know, I think trying to educate your instincts at an early stage by listening to as many, many different radio stations as possible, even bad ones, so you can avoid the errors.
0: Um, is there, apart from your own book, uh, which is on uh, bite back Publishing, you can buy lots of copies for it, um, uh, How to Make Great Radio, is there any books that you've gifted uh, people? And this might necessarily be a radio broadcasting manual of any kind, but any books where you've always gone, that's a great book, and you've recommended it to people in the industry to read to maybe help them along?
1: I wrote a blog, actually, this week on that very topic, uh, 10 books to read on holiday uh, about radio, and there are a few in there that I uh, clearly love. I mean, it's, uh, as far as life stories of people in radio are concerned, and these are good and sometimes you pick up hints across the way as well you know really, Jeremy Vines is beautifully written and there's a tale of a chap who's done press and tv and and, and radio and a beautifully written book so his is great uh, Scott Mills's book is good just for a sort of you know a, a radio one huge uh, character if you like a uh, very interesting varied life so those are two sort of great reads as far as techniques are concerned there's the uh, any of the books really by uh, uh, Peter Stewart and Paul Chandler there's one called uh, uh, essential Radio Journalism, which is all about, um, well, it's about radio journalism, as you might imagine. Uh, but it t- it takes everything through, you know, from law to techniques to how to sit when you're delivering bulletins to uh, mic technique to interviewing. Everything's in there. So that's a really good practical book. And uh, other practical books I would recommend. Uh, Valerie Geller, I know, is somebody I think who's familiar to your podcast, uh, a, you know, a, a renowned yes. radio consultant. Certainly her her powerful radio workbooks. Uh, are uh, well worth a read and her uh, immortal words obviously are never be boring, which is pretty wise.
0: Indeed, and of course so there's space on the bookshelf How to Make Great Radio by David Lloyd and what I love about your book is it's, it's you know, for, especially for myself that I come from a broadcasting background and I could really relate to all the different chapters in the book but it's from everything from interviewing children children to, you know, been at their eye level it's a small but very, very important things to for instance, you know, psyching yourself up before a big interview where you spoke about one presenter who would play the, the theme of Cagney and the AC right. before they went on air our- <laughs> um, to to Dale Winton and and that story regarding Barry Absolutely. White, which is a fascinating story. Yeah,
1: yeah. So I, I I used to work with um with, with Dale years and years ago, and uh, you know he tells a good tale. And that was the interview with uh, with Barry White, where Barry was you know one of these junkets where he sat in the middle of the room on a, on a huge chair, and all the interviewers were going in the room one by one and kneeling by his side asking him questions because that's what they thought they had to do. Dale, being Dale, wasn't having that, and he walked in and he said, Barry, do you mind if I draw up a chair? And Barry said, no, help yourself. So suddenly there is a conversation of equals. And, you know, who got the best interview out of that? Who got some chemistry out of Barry? Dale did. Thank you for listening to this
0: week's edition of The Outerview for RTE Radio 1 Extra. You can find out more about The Outer View at alanswan.com.